Everyone's like, what are you talking about in the summer? I'm like, I don't know. It's a daily battle in this studio, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Just to get to 11. (laughs) I'm purposely, in my mind, just placing expectations super low for this team so that they will crush them and be amazing. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Right now, it's about previewing the BYU football alumni game and doing so with one of the heralded quarterbacks in BYU football history. Max Hall joins us over Zoom. Max, great to have you back on the program. What's up, guys? Hey, I want to point out something. Okay, so my 10-year-old has been reading a book called The Greatest BYU Quarterbacks in History, and he just read your section, and in his words, he said, I quote, Max Hall was insanely good. And I was like, yes, I appreciate that you say that about Max Hall. So, uh, Max, how does it feel to be dubbed one of the insanely good BYU quarterbacks in the history of this program? Listen, he just became one of my favorite kids right there, so I'm all about him. That means a lot, man. It just it means a lot to be considered in that category because there's obviously been a lot of great BYU quarterbacks, and it feels good to be the best one, you know? It feels good to be number one. Thank you. What is that fraternity like? Because BYU is known for quarterbacks, Max. You're part of that in, in one of the greats. What, what does that being a part of that fraternity mean to you? It means a lot. Like it's, it's, it's a special group. It's fun being able to see those guys and hang out with them and tell stories and all that. But I mean, obviously quarterback, you and all the great quarterbacks, I've gotten to meet a bunch of them. So I get to work with Ty now and we banter back and forth about stuff, but it's, it's when you look back at it and really think about it, it's, I'm very blessed to have had the opportunity to play and be considered one of the, one of the greats or, or whatever you want to say. So it's a blessing. Max, as one of the greats, you're returning to play in the BYU football alumni game set for March 31st. When you were presented with this opportunity, why did you jump at it? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Jack, Jack, Jack Mooney called me up. He's like, Max, come play in the alumni game. I said, absolutely not. I want people to remember me when I was good, not now. That afternoon, Max Hall's playing in the alumni game. Here we go. So, I mean, I, at that point, I'm in, right? And so, you know, now I'm thinking, hey, you know, I've seen some clips before. We'll be in the IPF, you know, little game, and then we'll have the spring game that afternoon, right? Next thing I know, they're doing a little practice, and the feature thing is this alumni game. So now I'm in. Like, I, I am all in. I called John Beck the other day. I said, drop everything you're doing. Come to AZ. I need you to train me for the next two weeks. I got to get ready for this game. So it was kind of funny, man. But, no, this is going to be fantastic, and I appreciate the opportunity. But um, it's going to be fun to see a bunch of old teammates and a bunch of old players there at the game. and get to hang out and have a good time and uh, ham it up a little bit. So I'm looking forward to it. All right, Max, if I set the over under at three on hamstring pulls, are you taking the over or the under? Uh, come on. That's an easy bet. We're taking the over, <laughs> taking the over on that. You know, that's one of the first thing I said, I was like, what, what's the deal? Like, are, are they going to be able to rush me? Because if I'm having to like dodge rushers, though, I may not make it the whole game. We might need a backup. I need Brendan Gaskins on the team, man, because I'm, I'm going to need a sub. So, 
Um, I, I don't know. I hope everybody stays healthy. I hope it'll be competitive, but at the same time, let's, uh, <laughs> let's not be hurting guys out there. Well, look, for anybody that's seen you recently, they know that you're in pretty good shape, to say the very least. I, I, I don't think you're going to have to worry too much about that. Hey, so I started throwing. I had to start throwing in, like, all my quarterback trainings and sessions that we're doing. I had to start jumping in and throwing a little bit, and I still got it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's still there. So, I mean, uh, it, it'll be fun. Are you telling your high school kids that you coach to watch this game live on the BYU TV app, or are you trying to oh, keep them oh, away from this? Oh, they're all over it. Uh, in fact, some of them are actually going up to watch the game. Like, they're, they're all over it. Like, Coach, you better ball out. You better not lose. You know, they're giving me giving me crap. But, uh, yeah, they've, uh, they helped me. You know, when we, when we posted that committed thing, I was like, guys, I got to make this look like I'm, you know, I, after a great conversation with Coach Sataki, I'm committing, you know, do the whole thing that I always make fun of when they post these things. But um, they're, they're involved in it, man. And, and actually, it's been surprising how many people have come up to me in Arizona saying, hey, we're going up for the alumni game. Can't wait to see. So I'm like, this might be a lot of people there. I'm hearing that it might be on TV. And I'm like, I can't, I can't look like a chump. So I'll be ready to roll. I'll be ready to go. Well, we can confirm that it's going to be on television. It is on TV. We're, we're putting it on TV, Max. We found well, out you were in. This is on BYU TV. We're putting this thing on TV, brother. It, that's going to happen. Oh, boy, so are you, are you bringing Dennis up? Is Dennis coming? Is like Ty, is Ty coming up? What's, are, are you bringing any, uh, any tag-alongs? I try to, man. So Ty's like... Ty's like, yeah, once I found out you're playing, I'm not playing. You take it way too serious. I'm like, <laughs> whatever, man, get up and play. But And then, you know, Dennis, I, I think Dennis actually really wants to play, but with his hip injury, it's just not smart for him to play. Um, so I'm still trying to get him to come up. I was like, hey, come be the coach, man. I, I need somebody to call plays for me. Come be the coach. But I don't know if he's going to make it or not. Ask Dennis if he would reconsider if we allowed him to tackle Jerem. <laughs> See if that would be a game changer. I think that I think that seals the deal. I think if Dennis gets a free shot at Jerem, I think he gets up. The question is: Is Jerem man enough to take that hit? That's the question. Uh, we're clipping this off right now, and we are tagging Jerem in all of his social media accounts to see how he responds to this. Max Hall is with us on BYU Sports Nation. In all seriousness, we cannot wait for the alumni game. We think it's going to be a fantastic turnout for fans and a very exciting event. You're going to compete against Kevin Federick, another really good BYU quarterback on the other side. But with that in mind, let's turn the page to the actual BYU football team. And I want to rewind to the moment you're with your son and you're running out the flag for BYU in that epic weekend where the Cougars are officially invited into the Big 12. They beat Utah and then put together just a remarkable season overall. Max, what was that moment like for you and then to watch BYU compete the way that they did for the remainder of the season after the win against Utah? Special moment. Special moment. You know, ha- having my family there and, and being able to run out of the tunnel and, and have Rex there with me and him getting to see and feel what it's like to run out and be in front of 64,000 people and hear the crowd cheer and then get to watch BYU play and get to be down on the sideline a little bit. Um, really special for me and him. But then to watch the Cougars rise to the occasion and beat the youth finally, um, hopefully now I'm not a curse to the, the program anymore because, uh, I mean, that was driving me crazy. But here's what was really cool about it, guys. I haven't been back to BYU. I haven't been back to that stadium in a long time. And, you know, with my past and the mistakes 
mistakes I've made and having to overcome my, my addiction and, and, and get back to where I am today, BYU fans, Utah fans, everybody was so receptive. And it was really cool to see how many people came up and wanted to talk and just be back in that environment and see old teammates and coaches and special, special weekend for us, man. I'll never forget it. Fantastic stuff. Max, let's finish with this. What are your expectations for another Hall, Jaron Hall, as he approaches his next season? High expectations, man. I mean, if I'm Jaron Hall, I have the mindset I'm going to win the the Big 12. I mean, is there any other way to do it? Like, that's got to be the mindset. And I think this is a big year for him. There's a lot of expectations. Number one thing is the kid has to figure out a way to stay healthy. He's got to have a good offseason. He's got to get his body prepared. He's got to play smart. And um, I think if he does that, we could have a very, very good season. I'm looking forward to watching. I think a lot of people are excited about the new what's coming up next for BYU and the Big 12 and the team that we have. I think it's going to be an exciting year. Max, you clearly still do have it, not just off the field, but on the field uh, in both their arenas, man. Thanks for the time. It's great to catch up with you, and we look forward to seeing you in the alumni game. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Thanks for having me on, guys. We'll see you next week. You got Thanks, it. Max. BYU football great. Insanely good. Yes. Max Hall. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Extensive coverage from the indoor practice facility, including live 40-yard dash uh, coverage right now. Uriah Leatawa is the man running for BYU and those NFL scouts. Great look at it down the pipe. It's coming right at you, folks. Leatawa, defensive lineman who was injury marred, but you know what? He says he's finally healthy, starting to feel good, and we'll see what happens. He's just trying to get an invite to a camp, and then you never know what happens. That's, in fact, that's the situation for the majority of these guys today. Just get on a radar and do enough to to get invited to a camp. Well, and we just got the uh, the official numbers on that run we just saw. 5.08 was the time for Uriah. Uh, right before Uriah went, James Impey was running the 40, and he finished with a time of 5.46. But, but you're right. It, it's a situation where, you know what, get in a camp, get that one-on-one type situation, and then see what can happen. James Empey running his 40-yard dash. uh, Jason just mentioned those numbers, 5.46. So I'm happy to report that when I ran my 40, it was faster (laughs) than James Empey, as it should be. Look at Samson Nakua. Now, here's an interesting guy in terms of how he may potentially fit into an NFL camp. And Samson, off to a quick start. We'll get those official numbers to you in just a moment. But Samson, he's looking the part right now, Jason. Look, here's the thing. No matter how good of shape you think you're in, when you watch these pro days, you realize you're just a fat slob. <laughs> I mean, these guys have been working nonstop physically since the season ended to get in the best shape that they could possibly be. And this is an opportunity to showcase that. Yes. Okay, so Samson's numbers again coming shortly. If you're just joining us, Tyler Algier is not going to run the 40. Uh, Samson Nakua ran a 4.48. Not bad at all. Four four eight. Now the other receiver competing today, Neil Pau, getting set for his forty yard dash. It's going to be tough to beat a four four eight from Samson Nakua. That'll turn some heads right there. There's no question about it. The thing about Neil is he's such a smooth route runner. Um, sometimes it doesn't look like he's moving fast, and that can be deceiving for defensive backs because he'll get to open areas. Again, he's just got such a smooth running motion. 
and he's and he's a bigger guy. So I mean, he's he's one of the one of the bigger receivers, and so you know, I think. Look, you certainly want to have the the combination of size and speed, sure. but sometimes, look, if, if it's a bigger receiver, you know, you may not you may not necessarily need as much because you can just go up and get a you can go up and get the football. He's got a super long stride, a four seven one for Neil Pau in his opening run, but man, the four four eight from Samson Nakua uh, is certainly jumping off the page. As far as Algier not running the 40, again, I discussed there are pros and cons to this. Initially, when I heard this, I was like, why? Why not? Why not take an opportunity to just better that time? Because I've seen Tyler run a faster time. He's been laser-timed at faster times, multiple occasions within BYU football, closed practices. But he opted not to. So I thought, why? Well, why not? It makes sense. Just do it. Then there is always the chance, well, what if Tyler doesn't run a faster time? Would that further uh, decrease his value in his stock? There's just so much emphasis put into those 40 times that you got to be very careful about it. And so I don't, now that I look at it, I'm like, I don't hate the decision to not do it. If he feels like 4.6 is enough, and Kalani said, look, 4.6 is for a guy his size, it's good enough. It's all about the beast mode that he transitions into when the pads actually go on. And so they're pushing scouts and NFL execs to look heavily at the film, running away from players, a la the run at Boise State and at Utah State, and then chasing down Arizona State's defender who was, I don't know, like 10 yards ahead of him and headed for a pick six. This highlight. This is the beast mode. This This is the next level, right? That is what I'm showing NFL scouts. If If I could have one opportunity to give them one thing, it was that play. That epitomizes what Tyler Algier brings. It showed you how physical he is. It showed you his speed. And it showed you exactly the beast mode well, that Kalani was talking about. And, and here's the thing that NFL scouts absolutely will notice. We call it, I don't know, burstability. Like he's, he's very sudden in his movements. And so Tyler, from point A to point B, obviously not the fastest running back in the draft. But his ability to accelerate in tight spaces when he's running with the football is absolutely NFL level. He ju- that's where he gets his advantage against these defensive backs and these linebackers is his burst ability. He's so fast and sudden in his cuts, and then he accelerates really fast. So uh, that's a huge advantage for Tyler Algier. R- not running the 40 today, I, I get it. I-, I understand that more now than when I initially heard he was not going to do it. He doesn't have to drastically improve that time, I think, to... I mean, potentially what he could gain, I don't think is as as big as what he could Could lose lose if his time is not what he wants it to be. Well, and here's the other part about it. Beyond the pro day and the combine, there are going to be individual workouts. And if a team wants him to run the 40 in their individual workout, I'm sure he's going to do that. There's lots of opportunities for him to improve that if he still chooses. James Empey running his second 40-yard dash. We'll get that official time in just a moment. A 5-4-6 in his first. Empty on Cam Miller's big board, number 272 out of the top 300 available players. Again, that's according to our guy, Cam Miller, who is an NFL draft analyst and insider. Tyler Algier, number 57. And we were asking yesterday, okay, does that translate to a third-round pick or fourth-round pick? We'll see. Numbers coming in, Jason? Yeah, 537 on okay. attempt number two for James Empey. So he improved his time. 537. That's up almost an entire tenth. This is Lopa Leatawa getting set for his second 40-yard dash. He ran just over five seconds in his first. 
and uh, I kind of know what it's like to be in the mind of someone who is having a lot of people watch them run a 40 when I did mine. It's nerve-wracking. It is. Like, there's a lot of pressure. you got to kind of try to wipe that out and just be like, okay, just focus on the, well, in my case, the very minimal speed training that you did, the tips from BYU football players, focus on those, and then just get out and go. But this Your is- shorts were much baggier. <laughs> um, you had a lot of... <laughs> I was running you, into you a aerodynamic, yes. All right, Lopa just finishes his second 40-yard dash. Yeah, 5.08 was his first run, so we'll see if he can improve on that. If you're just joining our coverage of Pro Day on BYU Sports Nation for the five BYU football Cougars, I think the biggest number to jump off the page today is the 4.48 40-yard dash from Samson Nakua. 5.01. So he did. He did increase So both James Empey and Uriah Atala. Better their 40 times the second time around. You know what I love is that you compared your 40 to the BYU Pro Day 40. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be my takeaway from this show today. (laughs) I'm comparing mine to a center in James Empey. A center in James Empey who outweighs me by about 110 pounds, Jason. (laughs) Okay. And he's, he's running probably a faster 40 than I am right now. Well, Samson Nakua, who we were, you know, Looking at it, the 4.48, he's going to get ready to go again. Like if he can improve on 4.48, uh, that's going to be pretty impressive here. He was flying a live look on BYU TV. We'll explain it to you on BYU Radio. Samson Nakua, I don't think he got up to as good of a start as he did in the first one. So my gut instinct here, without seeing the official numbers, is that one will be a little bit slower. We'll see. Yeah, again, 4.48 was Samson's first run. And we've, uh, we're kind of waiting for the live numbers to come in to find out exactly where that second run falls. So far, Impey and Leotawa have improved on their first runs. We'll see if the same goes for Samson Nakua. But he was certainly flying. Man, he just got off to – he was out of the gate, so to speak, so quickly in that first run. We'll see. Again, those second numbers coming in in just a moment. Uh, Tyler Algier. Not running the 40, not participating in the verts or the broad jump. He did put up 21 reps on the bench. That's tied for third best in the combine. And here's Neil Pau as we take more live look-ins at the 40-yard dash among the five players participating in Pro Day for BYU football. Here is Pau with that long, smooth stride. Ran a 4.71 in his first. And we'll see if Neil improved that second number as well. Yeah, still no official numbers from Samson's second run, but as you mentioned, Neil with a a four seven one. Four seven one. We await Neil Pau and Samson Nakua. Uriah Leatawa, uh, speaking of the bench press, he tied with James Empey for the most reps of any of the Cougars competing on the bench. Both put up twenty three apiece. Samson was sixteen. Neil was fourteen. I'm always interested to see the wide receiver numbers because they're not. Technically, and usually, generally speaking, the bench press is not the most important number for those type of players. It's speed and agility and shuttle drills, uh, things like that, especially for safeties and wide receivers. But who knows? I mean, what's so quirky about this pro day is you just need one one scout to kind of be like, huh, I kind of like that. I'm going to take this information back to the folks to make the decisions and hand out the contracts, and I'm going to present this to, to them and see what happens with these players. So I guess my next question for you, Jason, is which of the other four players, not named Tyler Algier, because clearly Tyler is going to hear his name called at some point in the NFL draft, which of the other four players participating today can help themselves the most 
or have already helped themselves the most today? Well, I, I immediately go to the receivers, and I think two parts to your question. I think the guy that, that has helped himself already is Samson Nakua with the 4-8. Four, four now, we still have not seen any updated numbers for him or for Neil Pau, uh, but, but, and, I, and I know I made this point that you know sometimes I think we focus too much on the measurables, but knowing that NFL scouts do put a lot of stock in that, I think the guy that can help himself is Neil Powell because he is one of those receivers that has those measurables in terms of size and speed and, that, and whatnot. So I think a guy like Neil Powell in, a, in a, a setting like this has an opportunity to really turn some heads and get some people to pay attention because obviously he ended up having the injury that, sure. that cut the season short last year. So this would be an opportunity first and foremost to be able to show NFL scouts that he's healthy, but also get an up-close and, and personal view of, of what he can do uh, in, in these drills. Yeah, knee-jerk reaction right now in terms of like which player has probably helped themselves the most, just because of, and we watch the man I think it is, it's Samson Nakua, just because he was off the radar primarily for most of these teams. Um, how many of us were talking about, oh, Samson Nakua is going to be a guy that's going to make the jump to the NFL? He's off the radar. Now he's clearly he's gone all in. So I just think because of where he was and what he's done for himself today, he's probably going to take the biggest jump in terms of just exposure right. and maximizing that exposure. So much of what happens, and this is not just the NFL. This is, this is the NBA, whatever. There's so many guys that are similar, that can do a lot of things the same. But it's all about the fit and the timing. Is it, a, is it, a, is it the, a good fit at the right time for a team? That's what you're trying to match up. And sometimes you just don't know until it happens. And like, oh, my gosh, that's right. This was, a, this was the right guy at the right time with the right team. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU basketball on the cusp of another trip to New York City and the NIT New York Final City. Four. Yes, New York City. If BYU beats Washington State tomorrow night, the Cougars, for the third time in nine years, will make the trip to New York City and the NIT Final Four. Hey, that's typically making the most of what is not the best situation if you miss the NCAA tournament. The question today is, does the current BYU basketball postseason run in the NIT have any impact on next season and that positive momentum potentially going into the next season? I don't think so. I think it's mostly about the, this year. Well, let's look back at those uh, you know, two other, two other times. So in 2013, BYU goes to the semifinals of the NIT. Mm-hmm. The next year, goes to the NCAA tournament, loses to Oregon. Kyle Collinsworth blows out his knee yeah. in the WCC title yes. game. You're losing by 19 lose. in Milwaukee. Was that that one? Okay. 2016, BYU goes to the semifinals of the NIT. Mm-hmm. The next year, mm-hmm. NIT one and done. Uh, I don't think there's a lot or very much or, frankly, any connection to success the next year. I do, I do, however, want to break it down more than just the – like if BYU goes to semifinals next year, it does not mean they'll make the NCAA tournament next year. In fact, I would say it's going to be a challenge next year to equal how good this team was because you have to replace Alex Barcelo and Tijan Lucas. So what are we expecting? For BYU to have a better player than Alex Barcelo next year at at guard? I would think that would be a challenge to equal that. Hashtag transfer portal? Yes, of course. Uh, But it took AB three years to get to this point, right? A year, 
or two. Um, so it's hard to be like, hey, someone come in and be as good as this guy. It's tough. Uh, Alex is a tremendous guard. Um, you got to replace the, the backcourt. Although if you're the current guards, you're going, hey, we're right here. Uh, but BYU does need a point guard. I think BYU needs a center. Um, Atiki Ali Atiki is on the cusp of being like good starter, but he still needs some reps. I think you bring in an experienced center. Atiki's still the backup, and then you have two quality fives at that point. Obviously, Foos and Loner at the four are really nice options. If a team's a little smaller, you can run Foos at the five. You can run Caleb at the five. Although maybe an offseason will help Caleb in that regard, but it was a challenge for Caleb to be a four or a five depending on the night and be asked to do a lot as a sophomore. Next year, when he's a junior, it's like, okay, now you really got to be, uh, you know, like a 12 and 6 guy consistently. And he's knocking down some threes in the postseason. That's great. So th- there's a lot of work to be done. I-, I don't believe there's a correlation between any run here and super success next year. I do-, I do, however, think it's good for some development for some of these guards. It's good for them to see the ball go through the net consistently, to feel that. And then you get some confidence going into the offseason. But if you're just playing meaningful games for eight months, like that can quickly kind of go away, and then you have to recapture it next year. The biggest impact for BYU in this scenario is on an individual basis. The team core and chemistry is going to be so different after losing Alex Barcelo and T. John Lucas that it's hard to say, well, that NIT run was special, and it's going to launch us and propel us into (laughs) next season because you lose the two most dynamic pieces of your current roster. So by nature, it's just hard to say, yeah, the team's going to take this positive vibe and – they're going to come back stronger and better than ever because you automatically lose your best player. However, I do like the idea of a guy like Fusini Traore and Caleb Lohner, Trevin Nell, Spencer Johnson. I wish Seneca Knight were playing. He's injured, so he can't play. But I like Anatiki Aliatiki. I like the opportunity for those guys to play some really tough games against, you know, Pretty good teams. Against Not NCAA Santa, tournament against teams. Santa Clara Plus. But good teams. Yeah. If BYU plays Texas A&M or Wake Forest, I mean, the Washington State's a good team. They're a lot like San Francisco. Yeah. This is a good challenge for these guys on an individual basis. So I do think that the best impact potentially and a positive one will be for the guys that I just mentioned. And we have seen Caleb kind of come back into the player we thought he was going to be more of this year over the last few games in the NIT specifically. So I like this for Caleb Lohner. He's a guy that could take some positive momentum. Knowing yeah. that, hey, I played my last seven games at a pretty high level. Like, I know I'm capable. Reestablish that confidence. Yeah. And then more development for Atiki and for Foose. Um, and then the wing guards, you know, we'll see how their role develops. How many more shots are those guys going to want to take and take and make next year with Alex Barcelo and T. John Lucas vacating a lot of available yes. shots. you got to get a point guard in here from the transfer portal, one that averages double figures. Yeah. you got to have that. So to this me, is... you also have to have a center. Because you're like, okay, Dallin Hall and Tanner Toulson and Richie Saunders, you can't be like, hey, all of you have to ball out right now. If I'm Trevin Nell and Spencer Johnson, I go, get in line, freshman. <laughs> like, we're juniors and seniors getting George. Like, I'm a fifth-year senior next year. Um, get in line. Dallin Hall is going to be a, an amazing player for BYU in the next couple of years. We'll see how quickly they ask him to do something significant. I think what next year he comes off the bench um, because Trevin and Spencer and Gideon are going, hey, well, I'm right here. The best – I wish Seneca Knight was healthy too, but the best thing for these guys' development is that someone's hurt so they get a little more PT. I don't like injuries. But was Foose isn't Foose without Richard Harward and Gavin B- Baxter being hurt. Sure, That's he's accelerated. Re- that, yes, it was accelerated. So hopefully that pays dividends when Bioy's in the Big 12 and Foose is ready as a junior to go up against uh, you know, top five competition – Every third week. 
because that's what it's going to be. That's the reality. Yes, and if Houston continues on their trek, like they're going to stay in the top ten. There absolutely is developmental value in these games. Sure, it's like a bowl game. So I don't want like, BYU fans to think, well, I mean, the team's going to be totally turned over next year. There's some truth to it, that. It will be turned over at point guard. Sure, and at shooting guard, maybe. No, because you bring back Trevin and uh, Spencer and Gideon and Seneca, like the two and three. You bring back four dudes. And you bring in three RM. Sorry. Yeah. Speaking of specifically when T. John and Alex are on the floor yeah. together, the, the one and the two. The point guard. Okay. Yeah. The one and the two, both gone. It, but there is developmental value in these types of games. So BYU yeah, no, fans should no be question. excited about these opportunities, and especially the late round opportunities in the NIT, because these are the types of teams that BYU will need to beat next year, and these players will need to have confidence against next year to build a resume to get back to the NCAA tournament. So, like, yes and no. It's, it's fun to see the individual development. It doesn't correlate to team success per se, though. Like, do we feel like, listen, all the backups that played against UAB in the bowl game, that's going to help BYU get out to a quick start this football season? I don't necessarily feel that way. I just feel like it was a one You wouldn't think it's going to hurt, though. Like, if any, like, development is sure. development, right? Sure, but am I like, dude, JaVel Brown got 20 snaps. No, but so we're, fo- means... we're talking about, a fo- you're comparing apples and oranges. A football team is way bigger, way more personnel involved than just a 15-man basketball roster so well, i would say no, individual development no is... the idea of they played in a game late in the season that didn't super matter towards how that season's going to be thought of right uab whatever the nit like if they go to new york hey cool um but the first two rounds like all right whatever like awesome but it doesn't necessarily correlate to you know what BYU basketball is going to be next year this because of that sure and no. i said that no we don't know what the team will be yeah but we can hope that Caleb Lohner reestablishes his confidence, and sure. that a couple of these other individual we guys. We always hope we don't need uh, anything. Get better against yeah. good competition too. Again, this is this is pretty high level competition. They're going to be going against some really good individual plus. players. Yeah. Well, Santa Clara beat BYU this year, so yeah, Santa Clara plus BYU's playing. It's a bonus. BYU's playing teams as good as it is, which is just outside, if not a little the, better. The turn, if not a little better. I don't think BYU's played a team that's better than it yet. I think if BYU plays, um, BYU's better than Washington State. Yeah, if BYU plays Wake or Texas A&M or Xavier. Yeah, those are teams. That By are- how much, though? Because they're at home. They're a three-point favorite. So what we've learned is that essentially on a neutral court, they're saying these teams are even. Yeah. And in Washington State's healthier than they have been all season. I'm looking at Ken Palm. I'm looking at Ned. I'm looking at, yeah, BYU's a better team than Washington State. It's not by much. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. On BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. BYU football running backs coach Tyler Algiers, running backs coach. He is with Dave McCann from Pro Day. All right, you got the single season rushing leader behind us trying to make some inroads today. What does Tyler need to do in front of these scouts? Solidify what he did at the combine. I mean, the guy had a great workout. Um, he did great on his bench here. He, he didn't do the bench at the combine, and he put up some great numbers. Um, I talked to him yesterday about it, and uh, he, he had asked me, you know, how much did I do? And I, I gave him the number. He was like, so as long as I get more than you, I'm good, right? I'm like, hey, you'll be fine. And he did. He got more than me on on the bench. So proud of him for that. You know, it's it's. There's a lot of uh, nerves and stuff that go into this, but you know, for him for him to do what he's doing and come out here, I think 
if he if he does what he did at the combine, you know, does all the field work and and comes out here and um, you know showcases his, his ability to catch and run routes and stuff, I think he'll be just fine. Are you worried about his speed in the forty four point six of the combine? Does that trump say two years of highlights of him running downfield? No, not at all, not at all. Um, if if the game was that important, you know, based off of a forty. Every track person would be playing football, um, but I, I don't see that. And, and like you said, the game film speaks for itself. And I think there, there's a difference between track speed and football speed and game speed. And, and Tyler shows it, and, and I don't. I don't think it's it's going to hurt him at all. I think if anything, when, when you pull up the tape, it's, it's enough. In my Still opinion. looking third, fourth round? Do you think for him? Um, yeah, I mean, th- there's. A lot of speculation, talking to different GMs and, and scouts and stuff. Um, I've, I've heard majority of them are, are talking third, fourth round. Um, I mean, hopefully he shows out today and, and you know, a, a coach or a GM or scout or somebody sees something that could bump him up earlier. But um, I'm, I'm always hoping for the best and, and wishing for the best, and we'll see where it goes. What is this day like? You've had your day. Uh, what is this day like for these five Cougars? There's a lot of emotions, a lot of a lot of emotions, um, good ones, and and um, it, it's nerve-wracking as well. Like I said, there's there's a, a bunch of scouts out here today, and um, you know this is their pretty much their job interview. So for for anyone out there that's doing a, a normal job interview, you can imagine like it's I feel like it's that, but times ten because um, now you have everybody watching and not just you know some person that's one-on-one interviewing you. You got about. 20 guys interviewing you and then um, your family and friends are around so you're wanting to do your best and, and show out and so it's it's nerve-wracking but at the same time like I was telling Ty just enjoy it enjoy it because you, you don't get this time back you don't get this day back um, and you've done this your whole life you've you've trained you've practiced the drills that you're doing it's, it's nothing different than you know you haven't already done so enjoy it and have fun and I think he's he'll do that a job interview times 10 Harvey thanks appreciate it thank you thanks Steve. Yeah, one of the most public job interviews in the history of job interviews, the NFL Combine and Pro Day for sure at each individual school. Uh, in fact, let's uh, take you back live and look at some raw footage from some of the three-cone drills led off by Tyler Algier, and I'm glad that Harvey pointed it out. Uh, Tyler did not do the bench press at the NFL Combine. He put up 23, which would have ranked third most, and here is his three-cone drill. Again, his explosiveness, his burst, we will see this most clearly when he has pads on and he's playing actual football. We use the, t- the term gamer kind of loosely, but that's the best way I can explain Tyler Algier is when the pads go on and he's, it's time to play football, he just goes to another level. And he's durable. And that's what you need. Guys, as we talked about, it's a job interview. And guys that can be available in the NFL, game in and game out, that there is... There's a spot for players like that. And then you throw on top of it the fact that he has the size to be an NFL back and the speed to go along with it. It's a combination that works very well at the next level. And look, let, let's be honest. We were, you know, Dave asked Harvey in terms he's still here in third or fourth round. Running back is specifically a position where there are a lot of guys in the NFL, starters too, that were drafted in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds. You do not have to be a first round or a second round draft pick to make an impact at the running back spot. 
there are guys on rosters all up and down every round in the NFL. So really, it goes back by fit. But I think I, talk, I mentioned this yesterday on the show. Starting in round three, that's where I'm really going to start paying attention. And, and I would be surprised if we get through the fourth round and Tyler Algier has not been selected. That will surprise me. It's unbelievable that Tyler Algier, again, a walk-on at BYU, didn't receive a scholarship. He received a preferred walk-on status, was playing linebacker three years ago, and made the switch. And now here he is, BYU's clear and best draft prospect. Uriah Leatow doing the three-cone drill. He just slipped, so he's going to have to reset there and uh, hope for some better numbers and a better showing here in his own three-cone drill. I don't know if you're the same, but the three-cone drill for me is synonymous with Daniel Sorensen. Because it was record-setting for him? Not not just because I'm a Chiefs guy, but like you said, he set a record. The three-cone drill very well may have given Daniel his chance at the next level. And I'm not saying that you discount everything else he did, but when you're putting up numbers like that, these scouts in attendance pay attention. These, these drills matter. So, to me, Tyler Algier's draft spot, we just heard from Harvey in the third, fourth round, talked to most prospects. Okay, yes, Samson Nakua lining up for his three-cone drill as well. Uh, we'll take you back to that in just a moment. Whichever site you look at, I mean, I'm on NFLDraftBuzz.com. I've been paying attention to Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper and Cam Meller. He's somewhere between the fifth and 12th best running back on most draft boards. Again, it's all about the team. It's all about the fit. Which execs and uh, which scouts like you. Okay, so if he goes, if he's the fifth running back drafted, then it could be as early as late round two. But I think it kind of settles in around he's the 10th or 11th best running back. And that's probably going to put him solidly end of the third round, early fourth round. But it just depends on how many running backs go. Here's another look at Tyler Algier. The uh, 20-yard shuttle drill. Sorry, three-cone drill. The three-cone drill. Okay, the L drill, if you will. Tyler Algier just ran that. A good chance for him to display the burst ability we talked about. Really, Jason, it's going to come down to how many running backs get taken early that will drive the narrative of a guy in Tyler Algier. How high is he going to go? Well, look at when Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker III and... Damian Pierce and Brian Robinson and C.J. Spiller and Rashad White. When do all those guys go? Because they're all projected to go above Tyler. If that happens early, then, then that helps Tyler's draft stock. Yeah, there's, there's an opportunity, depending on when the, the rush on running backs happen, that, it, that a guy like Tyler Algier could move up. Because, and from, it's a I, different I, position in the NFL these it, days. It is. It really is. And Look, I, I, I don't think there's going to be yep. a, a significant run early on running backs. I, I still expect a lot of that to happen second round-ish where you have a bulk of the running backs going. So I, I still think right around the third, like you said, you know, mid to late third, early fourth is where it seems the most logical that he would be taken. But look, you're still talking about being a, a a top four round draft pick in the NFL, and those guys play. It's it's not like the NBA where guys that are picked at the end of the second round, and even that's changing a little bit. Yeah, where even those, making a roster. Even those guys are starting to play a little bit more. But third and fourth round guys are not only getting playing time; they're starters at the next level. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Tyler's listed as a solid pro prospect, workhorse type running back that could be an immediate contributor. That according to NFLDraftBuzzFeed.com. 
The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Mark Durant joining us now to bring us some A-level content and discuss the matchup between BYU and Washington State tomorrow night in the NIT quarterfinals. Mark, you're not at home today. You're, like, in the office. The lighting looks amazing right now. You look great. Wow. Hey, it's not easy looking this good. I got a whole staff, makeup, lights. So, I mean, (laughs) this takes some more. Yeah, I'm in the office. I I haven't been in the office much in the last two years, but we're just starting to go back. So, it's kind of weird, but uh, good to be back in the office. Well, thanks for working us into your work schedule. The views are incredible. Uh, Pretty nice there, you know. The only problem is I'm looking right at the University of Utah with all due respect. (laughs) It's not my favorite view. And uh, so, but you got to take the good with the bad. It's still very pretty. Speaking of, BYU's in the NIT. Uh, (laughs) Trying to make the best of that situation, right? We've been talking about it. And our question of the day is like, what, what value do you associate with this run in the NIT as it pertains to success for next year's team? What do you think? Well, I mean, aside from that, it's just fun to play as a player. I wanted to play games. I mean, I wasn't reason I wasn't very good is because I didn't like to practice very much, but I love playing games and (laughs) man, playing games in the merit center uh, and, and having that opportunity, that's, yeah, I just turned 51 this past week, and man, I look back on those days. Those were the halcyon days, man. I was that was fun. I I, I had no idea how great that was when it was happening, uh, but it's just fun <laughs> to play in those games. And so you get an opportunity to play. That's really cool. And then obviously it's not maybe what you had a goal for at the beginning of the season, but this is what you have now, and it's it's actually a pretty cool opportunity because you're playing really good teams, and if you win, you can go to somewhere really cool and play in a really cool uh, venue. And maybe have a chance to have a really special memory with those guys again. So when you're 51 and sitting around, you have that memory of your buddies. And, you, yeah, we did this. That was pretty fun. That was cool. And uh, so it's a really good opportunity, I think. It's not the one you shot for, but it's the one you have now. And it's a good one. And uh, and I think, you know, winning games and having success, it's, uh, it's about trajectory. It's about momentum. So I do think there's some value especially with the guys that will be back next year of winning games and winning uh, championship level games. So when you play in those types of games, which you'll play in a lot in the next few years, it's not a new situation. You've been there before you've had success there before and, and maybe won there before and won a title against teams that you'll be competing with in the future. That's, you know, there's value in that. And to the extent the players can play and get better, like you were mentioning with uh, Foose this year, his opportunity to play, he's gotten better. This is another opportunity to play. It's another opportunity to coach against good coaches and good teams. You get better because of this experience. So, but yeah, again, not where you maybe chose to be, but this is where you are, and it's still a good opportunity. Mark Durant, BYU basketball radio analyst with us on BYU Sports Nation. Mark, I'm looking at Caleb Lohner specifically and just what he's done over the past few games, and is there anybody else on the roster that will benefit or potentially benefit more than Caleb just because of the resurgence that we're seeing in him from one season to the next? Yeah, this has been a valuable time for Caleb. And I'm no, there's no bigger fan of Caleb Lohner than I am. And uh, I'm so happy to just see him having fun, playing with confidence, shooting the ball confidently. Uh, he was asked to do a lot this year. Uh, I don't know how much of it was was that and how much was just 
Uh, sometimes you get in a slump and it's hard to break out of it. But he has such talent and such athletic ability. If you can get him back to where I, I was watching some high school clips of Caleb not long ago, that was a supremely confident kid and he, he looked really good in what he was doing. I think he's finding that again. Uh, obviously the tools are there for him. It's just now of matching his tools with uh, the right situation at BYU. So he's, he's played great recently. Gideon George, of course, he had that big game the other night. This, this is, these are valuable games for Gideon. He's going to be heavily relied on in the future. So yeah, it's about those future guys, Boos, Atiki, Caleb, uh, Gideon, Trevin is playing well. Spencer Johnson's playing well. You know, it's important to have those guys playing with confidence going into summer. And so they think, man, we, I was playing really good and I'm going to play good this summer and next year, look out. That's the attitude I want, especially from Caleb, because I think he has underperformed probably the most. And I say that with love to Caleb, but I just know what he can do. And so if he can get up back up to that level, man, look out for Caleb Lohner. He's got all the, the, the tools that you want for an NBA guy and the body for it. A lot, of, a lot of BYU guys over the years have had the skills, but not the body to play in the NBA. Caleb's got the body. And he just needs to shoot about 300 threes a, a day over the summer <laughs> to make sure he's shooting at a high level because that's, that's his ticket forward uh, is being able to shoot from distance. 300 a day. How about 300 a morning? That's what I'm putting up right now, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Mark. Uh, Listen, Jerem, we don't all have your commitment to getting better. I didn't say how many I were mean, going in. Uh, I just said how many were going up. Um, th- this run uh, certainly is fun for BYU right now to try and try and get to New York. Alex Marcello hasn't been the leading guy in all of this. I joked uh, recently that I think he's saving it for you know MSG. Uh, should be why you get there. Twelve and a half a game over the two. He's uh, you know five of thirteen, went one of eight from three. I, I imagine this BYU team will be even better, obviously, with Alex Barcelo. Should he connect at the level we we've been used to, and perhaps they might need it tomorrow night against a good Washington State team. Yeah, I mean, well, it's like you and Spencer, right, Jerem? You know, in in the low pressure situation, Spencer performs pretty well. But oh my! The high pressure, you're the superstar. <laughs> oh my god! You need gosh. to elevate your game. You have to carry in those high pressure situations. <laughs> Listen, BYU's had the luxury playing at home against smaller teams that they haven't really needed Alex Barcelo <laughs> to play really, really well, right? I mean, when you're playing at home, it's easier for bench guys to play well. It's easier to get the assists and move the ball and, and do your thing. I hope that continues. But my experience is, and now that they're playing against bitter, bigger teams, better teams, uh, not, and if they win this game, they'll be on the road in a different venue. It's harder to get good performances from the whole group like you have been. I hope that happens again, but my experience in tournament play is that tournaments are for superstars. Superstars need to perform at a high level for you to be successful. So Alex Barcelo uh, will need to be the the best Alex Barcelo out there, which is really, really good. And I think he can do it and he'll have to do it for BYU to continue to advance. It's just the way it is. Your best players have to play their best games in the biggest games. And so uh, I think he's got it in him. Uh, I think he's obviously just the nature of his game is is deferential a little bit to make other players better. But at, at some point here, Alex will have to have you know, 25 or 30 points, 35 points for BYU to be able to advance because it's just harder to play uh, you know, against good teams. And, and, and so you need your best players to play their best. 
I should mention he has 12 assists in the two games. That's a good number. And 10 rebounds. Sharing the go. basketball. That's what Mark. he does. Yeah. That's what he does. I mean, if he's missing shots, he goes and gets seven assists and five rebounds and three. I mean, he he, he never hurts you, ever. And he, even when he's not making the threes as, as, what, as to what we expect him to do. Mark, from my uh, low-pressure stance here, <laughs> I'm taking a look at this Washington State roster, and I watched the game that the Cougars from Pullman played against SMU on Sunday. They remind me a lot of San Francisco. They've got a ton of size. They're healthier than they've been all season. Their backcourt's really good and can score the basketball. They're not Shabazz and Bouye from San Francisco, but they're not far off. They're really athletic. So they remind me a lot of San Francisco. Is that bad news for BYU in terms of the matchup? Yes, it's bad news. BYU struggled against uh, teams with bigger, talented guys and good guards. So whether it's Gonzaga, obviously, St. Mary's, San Francisco, there's a similar formula there. BYU won't be able to dominate on the offensive boards and second-chance points like they have against some of these smaller teams. Uh, Foose tends to struggle a little bit when he does against the big seven-foot type centers. Um, And so that's a struggle, and it's not going to be wide-open threes like you're used to these last couple of games. So it will be a challenge. This will be a tough game, and guys are going to have to step up and really rebound and, you know, work to to get open shots. And you're not going to see that really the high assist number like you've seen in the past couple of games. That's not to say I don't think BYU can win. I mean, they're at home. They're a really good team. I'm just saying it's going to be a different game, and it will be a real battle, and will test how well this BYU team is playing to play against a team that has this kind of size and athleticism, defensive ability. It's going to be another one of those St. Mary's, San Francisco-type games. BYU can certainly win it, but it's going to be a battle. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU basketball, as Jason just mentioned, wrapping up their season 24 wins, 11 losses, but they sputter out in the NIT quarterfinals at home against Washington State. It's the other Cougars from up on the Palouse that are headed to Madison Square Garden and not BYU. So, Jason, as we take a step back from this season and look at all 35 games, the ups and downs, the injuries, the adversity. What will this BYU season be remembered for? There are two things to me that stand out, and actually one leads into the other. The first is what could have been, and I'm obviously referring to the injuries to the big men. You know, you lose Richard Harward early in the season. You also lose Gavin Baxter to the injury at Utah Valley. And so really, at the very beginning of the season, the way that you thought you were going to play, the rotations that you thought you were going to be able to have are completely thrown out the window because you have to regroup on the fly. And that is one of those situations where BYU, I thought, did a fantastic job of doing just that adjusting on the fly, and they picked up some very big wins and put this team in a position to be an NCAA tournament team. Unfortunately, as the season progressed, some of those issues became a little bit 
too difficult to overcome. And as the season went on, it, it became a bigger issue. So that's what I will remember it for was what could have been if BYU had its mix of players that it expected to have. But the byproduct of that is that you, we discovered Fusene Traore at a much greater level than we expected to. We knew he was going to get time, but I don't think any of us felt or knew that he had this type of game in him this early. He was an absolute revelation this year in terms of what he can do around the rim, not just offensively, but rebounding, his physical presence. That, those are the two things that stand out to me about this year. Sure, his defensive length. As yes. we look at another block shot on BYU TV, Foose was, as we joked, was on the accelerator clause yeah. for BYU basketball. For better or worse, because by necessity, they needed him to step up and take on a larger role. But, man, looking at the graphics we just threw up onto the screen, BYU, remember when they were 6-0 and and ranked number 12 in the country? They had just throttled Oregon at the home of the Trailblazers in Portland, so a de facto road game. They're the 12th-ranked team in the country. Then Gavin Baxter goes out. I... I feel like we're not putting enough emphasis on just how incredibly impactful that injury was. And it's to the credit of the BYU coaching staff and the players around Gavin Baxter after he got injured that BYU still competed and won a bunch of games. Yes, very much so. Because the expectations kind of just like remained high, right? Oh, BYU's number 12 in the country. Well, if they lose Baxter, like, that's okay. They're still pacing to be like a six or a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. And it just caught up with BYU. Teams figured out how to beat BYU when the Cougars were significantly undersized. Also keep in mind, Richard Harwood didn't play one regular season game. He didn't finish one regular season game. So even if BYU has one of those guys, either Richard Harwood or Gavin Baxter, things are significantly different. BYU's in the NCAA tournament. I think it's that big of a difference because now when those two guys go out, you are asking Caleb Lohner to develop into a role he is not comfortable playing. His entire basketball career, he was a face-up player, meaning he would stare you in the eyes with the ball and try and take you out the dribble. He was kind of a hybrid four. All of a sudden, Caleb's going to start playing the five, and Foose's got to play the five, and those guys are kind of rotating in the post. And Now the guards are trying to figure out, okay, well, if we don't have Richard and Gavin – and we got to take on a bigger role. So now T. John Lucas and Alex Barcelo already feel pressure, and now they're feeling a lot of pressure to try and keep competing at this high level. So to me, the, the word is adaptation. That's how I will remember this season because BYU had to adapt in so many ways, and it just caught up with them. I told you earlier this week, speaking to all of you listening on BYU Sports Nation, that Washington State – is not a good matchup for BYU. They're just like San Francisco. Super tall, big, long, athletic, and they've got guards that can just hit tough shots like Jamari Bouye well, so, and Shabazz. Well, and Flowers last night. Michael was, Flowers. Yeah, Flowers last night was Tell me he great. doesn't remind you of Jamari Bouye and Khalil Shabazz, the way that they can create their own shot off the dribble, and they just, hands in their face, they just make shots. Yep. Okay? Tough matchup for BYU. I know people, and I had people coming at me on Twitter yesterday saying, they didn't get to the tournament. Season's a failure. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. I know your expectations remained high. I will remember this season as one of adaptation and in many ways overcoming adversity and overachieving. The fact that BYU was still a tournament team halfway through the West Coast Conference season with no bigs was an overachievement. What BYU did with 
all of the personnel issues that they dealt with right out of the gate is remarkable. BYU put itself in as right on the bubble. Now, it, it started to slip a little bit after the West Coast Conference tournament and start, you had other teams. They started falling down the, the list a little bit. But like you said, BYU was, was in contention for the NCAA tournament. Now, it didn't work out. But the fact that they played the entire season without a true big, I'm not even sure what that means anymore, a bit, but with significant height, to, to, Somebody to, over six eight to combat what other teams had on their roster. The fact that they were able to get this many wins and have this much success this year is very remarkable. And yes, it didn't end the way that they wanted. No, it's disappointing. That fans wanted. It's disappointing. But there are circumstances that BYU, at the end of the day, just couldn't ultimately overcome in order to reach its goal. And that's understandable when you talk about the guys that they did not have this year. Yeah, we're not being naive. The season was disappointing because of what BYU accomplished early on. Like, you saw what it could be potentially. And then it's kind of like, hang on for dear life. And, oh, man, BYU was still kind of on the bubble going into Selection Sunday. That two-week stretch that started at Santa Clara is what ultimately... Was the undoing cost BYU yes. the chance to go to the NCAA yes. tournament? Yeah, no, no naivete here. Disappointing season for sure, but when you consider what Mark Pope and his staff had to do with the pieces they had in place after seven games into the season, frankly, they overachieved for a while, and then it just caught up with them. So it's hard for me to sit here and say twenty-four and eleven. Good grief, get out of here! I remember one and twenty-five. I remember nine and twenty-one in nineteen ninety-seven, and feeling good about BYU just making their conference tournament. Okay, I remember that. I remember what Steve Cleveland's last year, nine and twenty-one, when Dave Rose took over. And I know the standards have changed, but you have to alter your expectations when you lose significant pieces like that. And I had other people saying everybody deals with injuries. How come BYU couldn't handle it? I am not kidding you, Jason. I went through 50 of the 68 NCAA tournament teams and just like looked at their kind of game by game, probably like which starters were in. This took me like a few hours, okay? <laughs> which, like, who had significant injuries to yes. projected starters? I could not find one team of the 50 that I went through, and there were 68. I got tired. I was like, I'm over this. Oh. But 50 teams. So you got lazy, is what you're saying. Could not find one team that lost two. Biggs. I will never forget this quote from Coach Pope. And I believe, I don't think it was after the UVU loss. I actually think it was the next game in Springfield against Missouri State. I remember him saying these words. We realized we were never going to be the the team that we thought we were going to be. We are never going to see because of the players they didn't have. Exactly, They went in with an idea of what was possible and what they could do with the personnel that they have. And when these injuries happened at the same spot down low, he says, we're never going to be the team that we thought we were going to be. Now, that doesn't mean he thought we can't win. He just says, we're going to have to do it a different way. So they had to do every bit of this game after game after game on the fly, mix and match to find out what worked. And they picked up a lot of wins. Along the way, they just ran out of gas. Yeah, well, I love the, the argument. How come Coach Pope can't find a consistent starting lineup? Oh, I don't know. Why don't you uh, lose your two starting center seven games in and then try and figure right. out a consistent starting five? Yeah. Like, it, 
the challenge that they dealt with personnel-wise was too much. It was too much to overcome in the end. I know getting to Madison Square Garden would have been a nice kind of redemption moment, like kind of salvaging some disappointment from not getting into the big dance. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. But I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, 24 wins is is a failure. Like that's that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. No, they you can be upset in- with the way that it ended. You can certainly be upset that be they mad. lost last night. Sure, and sure. they are. The team is they they are upset that they didn't win last night and devastated that they're not going to New York. But to call this turn. season a failure no. is beyond Stop ridiculous. It. Stop it. Fifty teams I looked at. Not one of those teams that went to the tournament lost both of their bigs. Not a shocker. When you're healthy, you win a bunch of games. Yep. It's true. All I know is this, Jason. We can now flip the page officially to the football season in how many days? Countdown to the Bulls. 163. 163 days away. BYU at the home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the USF Bulls. Raymond F. James Stadium. It's uh, 23-ish weeks away, Jason. This will be your second time there, right? So, yeah, second time. Second time hanging out with Tom Brady. God, amazingly, he'll still be. He'll still be. Well, at least we think so. (laughs) We'll see what happens. It is pro day in the indoor practice facility. We just heard from Dave McCann. We've seen some pictures and images of the early events going on. As Dave said, it's past, present, and future. Jason, we're going to give you live updates and live looks into the IPF. And here is the head football coach, Kalani Satake, with Dave McCann. All right, Spencer, thank you. Coach, one of the things that, that you made clear when you took this job is part of your job is to help your guys get jobs. And so a pro day like this is their opportunity. Oh, yeah, and, and um, getting them internships in, in, in the professional world other than football is, is, is my job, too. So I, I have the honor of doing that and trying to set up as much as I can for them to have success. And game of football is really important to our young men and I want to make sure that they can we can exhaust all our resources to get them as many shots as they can um, I mean, the game of football is going to end for everybody uh, it's inevitable you know that and it usually ends when you don't want it to unless your name is Tom Brady so um, you know we're, we're just going to try to do what we can to help these young men and and um, so far it's looking looking like it's, it's doing well and I, I'm really thankful for all the staff and uh, everybody that allowed them to make this happen, and for the NFL scouts and personnel to be here as well. What was your pro day like? Oh, my results were not anything to, to boast about, but I had one, if that makes any sense. <laughs> that's and, something. But it, and it was nothing like this. I mean, information out there about my results, but um, I can learn from my from what my experiences in the past and try to make it better for these guys. And, and um, I think, um, you know, give a lot of appreciation to our our staff to make this happen, specifically Jason Ayu and David Almodova and, and the rest of our support staff. You spend a lot of time with these guys explaining just how hard it is to get a job in the NFL. And, and there's pro days going on all over the country. Uh, what do these guys look to do today to stand out? I think they just got to have fun and, and do their best. I mean, the uh, I think a lot of focus goes on this one day, but... Uh, the resume and the, the uh, audition was during the season, and when they when they had the pads on in front of people, or in, not in front of people when we had COVID, but when they're on that field, I think these guys made enough plays that they should have, get a shot in the NFL. And 
once they get their shot, hopefully they take advantage of it and, and do what they can. And, and you know, it's a, it's a it's always a, a it's a tough business. Not a lot of people make it, but those that make it ha- have a lot to be proud of. But also those that make it to on a team to try out, they have a lot to be proud of as well. I'm just really proud of the things that these guys will do on the field, but more than anything off the field, the type of young men they're going to be in in the community. I'm really excited about that. A lot was said about Tyler's 4.6 run in the 40 back in the combine, and he's not running the 40 today. Is that a deal breaker for a team, or is all the footage they have of him playing football uh, outweigh that? Well, I think he has enough film out there running away from people that ran faster than 4.6 on their pro day and, and, and combines. And uh, I don't know. This, it's like he activates a different uh, beast mode when he puts the pads on and I think that that's just speaking enough for for what he can do. He, you don't see a lot of people chase him down. You don't see a lot of people. Uh, you saw him chase some people down. So even on special teams, when they look at that film, when he played defense special teams, there's enough out there. But a, a four six flat is a really good time for a guy with his size. And and uh, we'll see what he does with this with the drills, the short shot, and things like that. But I, I think I think um, there's been a lot of players that ran four six and slower that are making big-time plays in the NFL right now. you got some of your big names here. Uh, Taysom's here. We talked to Kyrus. We'll hear from him coming up. Uh, Harvey Longy's around here somewhere. And, and you want guys to come back and support the guys trying to get out. Yeah, and those guys come back and they train here. And I mean, this I want them to feel comfortable in, you know, on campus again to come home and see our guys. And, and just, just I mean, we're a family, so we want them back here working out with our our. With our our staff working out in the weight room, utilizing the fields as much as they can, and, and um, knowing that they can, that BYU is always going to be a part of their life. Coach Tataki rolling out pro day. We'll let you get back. Thank you. Let's go. Go Cougs. Spencer, back to you guys. Thank you, Dave McCann, with the head football coach, Kalani Satake. As he said it, well, I, I had a pro day. <laughs> That's pretty much it. It was nothing like what the players are dealing with and having put out there for them these days. Well, and this is. This is an important day, not just for the five guys that are participating today, but this is an opportunity for BYU to showcase itself. And we talked about that coming up uh, or a few minutes ago when we were referencing last year's um, extravaganza when you knew Zach Wilson was going to be a very high draft pick. Remember, the trade with the 49ers that ultimately gave them the third pick. That deal was done here in Provo with John Lynch in attendance. So it's, it really is a celebration of the BYU football program and certainly the guys that are participating today. And, and this is something that those five former Cougars are going to remember for the rest of their lives. All right, let's get to the Tyler Algier headliner news here at the Pro Day uh, situation with BYU football. He has competed in one or at least participated, I should say, in one event. It was the bench. And we know how strong he is. 21 reps on the bench at 225 pounds. I don't know how much Tyler has to prove in terms of just his brute strength. Yeah, and, and just so everybody knows, that 20, the 21 reps, that's tied for the third best combine number. So that kind of puts it into perspective in terms of where that number ranks. And he was at the combine. And, and he was at the combine. So, look, this is, this is a calculated move by Tyler Algier. This is not something that on a whim he's deciding, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do this. He has talked with his agent, and they have gone through all of the scenarios as to pros and cons for doing certain events. 
he's going to stand by his 40 time that he ran at the combine. And look, there can you can look at this a couple of different ways. And I think what Coach Satake said is perfect. That look, there are a lot of guys that are making plays and making a lot of money in the National Football League that have slower times than Tyler Algier in the 40. And I, I think what, he, what Dave asked him in terms of how much do you rely on those measurables and things you see versus the film, I think that's one of the biggest – look, and I'm not an NFL scout. I'm not an NFL executive, so they're not going to listen to me. But I think so many times we look at measurables and we either say that guy's in because of his measurables or he's out because he doesn't stack up. And I think too many times we don't look at the body of work that somebody has had. And I hope in a case like Tyler Algier, they see the type of workhorse he was and his durability. And I think that is what should ultimately stand for Tyler Algier. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. As promised, the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rebell, joins us in Studio B as we now look back on a very up-and-down, interesting, injury-riddled BYU basketball season that ultimately ended still with 24 wins, Greg. Let's start with the last game last night. Uh, and you told us earlier this week, Washington State's really good. They're like San Francisco. Remind you a lot of them. And ultimately, that was too much for the Cougars to handle. What are your thoughts on the loss last night? And ultimately, what was the undoing of BYU against the other Cougars? Well, let's talk about the last three games, the NIT games. They faced a regular season conference champ in the first game, a regular season conference champ in the second game, and a top five Pac-12 team that is now healthy and playing its best basketball of the year. Washington State has a better Ken Palm ranking than three Sweet 16 teams right now. (laughs) Okay? So better than Iowa State, better than Miami, and better than St. Peter's, but St. Peter's is a Cinderella. We don't don't really want to compare. But the two that are kind of in their mix, they're ahead of Miami and Iowa State. They're one spot behind Providence, another Sweet 16 team. This was a good and is a good Washington State team playing its best basketball because they are healthy. And, And I thought that last night's game is fascinating in that It's kind of a microcosm of the objectives BYU wants to achieve in transitioning to the Big 12. You know, what does the Big 12 have? Length, physicality. What did Washington State have last night? Length, physicality, 6'10", 6'11", 6'10", off the bench. All right? Uh, Aggressive downhill guards, check, check. Washington State had that uh, going. Uh, Depth, Washington State, Kyle Smith didn't like what he saw early. From, he went to the bench early last night and got responses from those bench players. So their top eight players, five starters, three bench, their three bench guys gave them 10 field goals. BYU's, top three, BYU's three bench guys gave them zero field goals. The depth was a factor last night. Uh, Washington State had it, and BYU didn't last night. So, you know, those are kind of three, you know, factors that BYU will want to address and objectives they want to achieve, transitioning to the Big 12, want to get longer. And BYU was a longer team at the start of the year. Let's not forget, they lost two size, two, two pretty important pieces of the puzzle with length. You want to get longer, want to get deeper. You, you want to get that aggressive downhill guard play. Um, and, and we saw that last Last night from from WSU and uh, yeah they were going to be good and they were good it was interesting about last night guys is that BYU kind of neutralized 
Washington State inside in some ways. The ways were, uh, you know, inside scoring was was dead even uh, between the two teams. Second chance points, even. Uh, Free throw attempts, even. Offensive rebounds, even. Rebounds, even. Now, what what doesn't show up there is the impact Washington State's length had inside, especially when it comes to rim protection and not letting BYU guards get downhill and finish at the rim. So there were some definite impacts by the WSU length, but in one way, BYU, or in many ways, BYU kind of neutralized it and played them to a standoff. Credit to Foose, credit to Caleb Lohner. BYU did enough good things inside. It really kind of came down to uh, both teams starting guard combos. BYU was outscored in the starting guard combos by 20, and they lost by 19. Mm. Uh, Those two guards for WSU made uh, eight threes, and BYU starting guard combo made uh, one three, I think. They made eight or nine, BYU made one. There's kind of the difference in the game last night. It actually came down to three-point shooting. Uh, BYU made 16 threes against Northern Iowa and only three against WSU. Now, you're going to get different looks against WSU. UNI gives you a lot of three looks. There weren't as many there against Washington State. But early, there were some good looks that BYU just wasn't hitting. It might have made a change in the game. And there was some bad luck and bad, you know, some bad bounce type things when it was still a game. I think about that five-point possession in the first half when BYU had a six-point lead. It kind of changed the tone of the game at that point. You know, what, what, what could have been a, a travel and a turnover turned into a good basket with a three-point play chance, miss of the free throw, loose ball foul on the free throw miss, three-pointer off the inbounds, boom, a five-point swing, part of a 7 nothing run. BYU went from up six to down one pretty quickly. That was kind of a weird thing that happened. It kind of changed the early tone. In a 19-point game, you can't nitpick too much. But when it was still a game, I think about that. I'm kind of rambling. Bottom line is, BYU played a good Washington State team that kind of showcased some things BYU will want to address and need to uh, to transition into the Big 12. Let's talk about Alex Barcelo. Obviously, his BYU career came to an end last night. How would you describe his season, his career, and what he's meant to this program? Well, gosh, uh, Coach Mark Pope on the postgame show last night uh, kind of reiterated, you know, the impact uh, that will be felt, you know, kind of in the community and in Cougar Nation and as a leader off the floor uh, will have been as important as anything he did on the floor. And, and again, I think, I think one of the greatest credits you can give the guy is that he was a, a three-year player that felt like a four- or five-year guy. Here at BYU, we kind of felt like he had that kind of impact, and um, I, I just, you know, we'll, we'll miss him so much. What a what a what a strong leader, and 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 so much was on his shoulders uh, after you know Jake and, and and TJ and Yoli left the program. He kind of had to carry this program in a lot of ways uh, for the last couple of seasons, and you know, I, I think you know by the end of it, meaning the end of last night. I don't know how much was left in the tank for A.B. He just gave it all every game, started every game uh, that, he, that he played for, uh, for, for Coach Mark Pope. Just answered the bell every night and took so much punishment, was so much the focal point uh, of every team's scout, so much attention, uh, physically and otherwise. The challenge for him just had to be enormous every night. And I think he just gave it his all, and by the end of it all, I don't know how many more made shots were left in him as a college player. He just put it all out there. And I just think he exhausted himself uh, as a leader for this program. Greg Rubel, the voice of the Cougars, is on BYU Sports Nation. How will you remember the entirety of this season? Or in a way define what we just witnessed over 
35 games. Yeah, I mean, they played 35 and 124. And, and with the injuries early and the injuries late and using 10 different starting lineups uh, and, and yet, you know, beating tournament teams, BYU beat and well, played and beat a lot of very good teams. Uh, very few teams challenged themselves out of league like BYU did this year. That was one of their strong, you know, one of the strong suits on their resume this year was what they want, what they did out of league that the committee asks you to do out of league. You know, and there, there were some things in which BYU fell short in conference play, but out of league, they, they did so much of what you want to do. And when you win 24 of 35 and use 10 different starting lineups to do it and lose your inside plan from the get-go, uh, you know, absolutely credit and kudos and plaudits uh, to get BYU to where it got, you know, one win away from getting to the NIT Final Four. And when you get to the NIT, look at the teams BYU played and the teams that are in the tournament now. That's a good field. BYU played good teams early, played good teams late, and 24 wins, I think, are, are to be applauded. I do wonder sometimes if the final 46 seconds at Santa Clara had played oh, out differently, yep. would the end of the season have played out differently? You know, that was such a, such a weird and key moment of the season where that weekend kind of became a lost weekend for BYU. And then the two losses that followed it that you might actually, you know, those aren't bad losses on the back end, the USF home and Gonzaga home. Those happen. But that weekend prior, if that had just turned out and even maybe just that last minute turned out differently, might have things turned out differently in the end. We'll never know. But um, it was such a strange thing to occur to a program that had never lost back-to-back regular season games under Coach Pope to suddenly losing four in a row that kind of took BYU off balance, you know, kind of staggered them. But, you know, they got off the mat, right? And, and what they did late put themselves back in a position to be on the bubble and keep themselves into the mix uh, to the very end. It is such a hard tournament to make. It is such a hard tournament to qualify for. And yet, BYU's always right there. You know, dip years are few and far between. And and when your quote unquote you know dip year is you know you know twenty plus wins and playing in the NIT, <laughs> you're a pretty dang good program. And and it really can't you know it's it wasn't even that much of a dip. You know it was just a weird spot in the season where they had a bit of a rut, climbed out of it, just not all the way. As we see sometimes through adversity, there can be positive things that come out of it. And obviously, the adversity is losing your bigs early in the season. The positive thing came out of it is we discovered how good Foos is. What type of role do you want to see for him next year, knowing that they're going to add some size around him? Yeah, if he can just more just add additional components to his game, uh, the next thing might be, you know, facing and, 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 and putting it on the floor a little bit. Um, you know, Yoli Childs is a great comp. You know, he was in the, he was in the building last night. He saw Foos break his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his freshman rebounding record. Uh, and and, and what, what a great comp to have and to have others use as an illustration uh, to have that kind of impact is, is maybe reasonable to expect right now. Uh, and, and yet, you know, he, he is such a wide body and yet so smooth and kind of silky in the way he moves. Uh, I couldn't be more excited than to watch his development as a foundational piece for BYU into the Big 12. You know, you talk about, well, who on the roster looks like a quote-unquote Big 12 guy? That's a Big 12 guy. All right, Foose is a Big 12 guy. And, and they've got him early, and, and so much was shown as a true freshman, and he was dropped into the deep end yes. after that UVU game, essentially, right? You know, the, the progression might have been a little more slow and gradual and yet similarly encouraging, but um, it, was, it was the baptism by fire, and he came through it with flying colors, and uh, how exciting uh, to have him as, again, a foundational piece for this program moving forward. Greg Rebell on BYU Sports Nation. As we push forward to next year and look at what Mark Pope is dealing with uh, in terms of compiling a roster, we've talked about BYU's 
need to add some size, like some guys or a, mm-hmm. at least one guy over the you know, height of six feet, eight inches, six, nine. And then they clearly need uh, a point guard. Got to find a point, yeah. Lucas right. and Alex Barcelo. So what do you expect the roster turnover to be like, and, and where does Mark Pope go from here? Well, where Mark Pope always goes, which is everywhere. Uh, that's the one great thing about uh, the one fun thing about watching him coach and 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 create uh, rosters year to year is where he goes and how he finds and what he brings in and the portal changes everything for everyone. But you know, Mark Pope is already on the job; like he is finding next year's team now. Um, it's happening immediately, and and uh, you know, I, I think coaches want to play for him for a lot of good reasons. Uh, the fact that you can put almost you know twelve thousand fans in the building uh, for an NIT quarterfinal is one of them. Uh, there are a lot of things BYU has going for it right now. Love the staff. Uh, you know, we always want the staff to progress, meaning guys get better jobs. But selfishly. I want this group to stay together for a while because I just love how they work together uh, under Coach Pope. And, and, yes, we want all those guys to get their chances. They've earned them. They deserve them. But, man, it's, it's a great group, and I'd love to see them you know, stay together. As long as they're happy to be together, uh, I, I'd love that to happen. But that's, that's the, the, the neat thing is he can go and kind of create a new look um, uh, for next season and beyond. But I think BYU – and this is just me thinking, but um, – you're probably looking to buy more than rent right now. Uh, I don't know that, that one-year guys help you a ton. Uh, you still want to win a WCC championship, and, and, and a push toward that would be great. But I think you're looking more for you know guys with a little more longevity, the two- and three-year, if not the true freshman who can be with you four or five. But I, I, don't, I don't know that one-year guys are going to help a ton or as much as maybe they might have otherwise, whereas more two- and three-year guys that can be – Again, foundational pieces for that transition into the Big 12. I don't know if Mark Pope's thinking this way, but maybe when he goes out and he looks at guys, he's thinking, well, this is a, a guy that in two years I can be leaning on to help us win games in a very, very tough league they're going into. I wish we weren't doing it today and recapping BYU's basketball season, but this is the reality that we are dealing with. And uh, as I told you, Greg, you're the perfect man to help us kind of process through everything that happened over those 35 games. Well, we've all had a good look one way or the other at what transpired over these last <laughs> 35 games, and I think we can all appreciate all the hard work that went into getting 24 wins. Certainly. And, uh, and, and man alive. Uh, I, I love the atmosphere last night. Uh, it, it's invigorating that you can, uh, you know, have disappointment uh, you know, for a short span, be kind of erased by the, uh, the the excitement that comes with a new tournament run and a new feel and a new vibe. And uh, and getting to the quarterfinals is an achievement, and I think it should be applauded. And we know that uh, the objectives will always be to get to the NCAA yep. tournament, which BYU does more often than not over the last quarter century, right? And, and so, uh, you know, onward with that pursuit. And pursuit of a WCC championship, too. One last crack. One more, one more, one more last chance. crack at trying to contend for that league title next year. And then uh, during this next year, you know, you're already going to be, you know, kind of one foot in one league and one foot in the next because all those things are going to start coming out in terms of, uh, you know, schedules being released and broadcast plans and all the things that go into the transition. And that'll be exciting, too. Yes, it is exciting. Greg, thanks for the time. Always a pleasure. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. The light has been shown on Samson Nakua. In my opinion, to this point, he's won the Pro Day. He's done the most for himself. He's just one of the players being discussed with Fessy Satake, the wide receivers coach at BYU, here with Dave McCann. 
All right, Fessy, you got two receivers on display here today. Let's start with Neil Pau. What are scouts like, and what is he trying to show today? I think Neil's trying to show he's more than just a big receiver. He's very agile. He's got speed. He looks really lean right now. Um, but I, but Neil's strengths are what I think everyone knows. He's just a, a big, strong, physical receiver, very, very savvy in, in his play. Um, I'm excited for him. I think he's going to do a great job today in his showing. Scouts really love um, – just the way he plays the game. They, they love that he's in a day and age in the NFL where, you know, size and speed are important, but, like, can you get open? That's that's Neil's strength, and I think he's intriguing to a lot of guys. There's a smoothness to him. Yeah. And, and some swagger. Yeah, he's. you see it. I, I've been fortunate to play basketball with him. You see the same thing. He just he gets it. The, the spatial awareness that's there, how to set people up. Um, he's an artist. He's pretty everything he does. You know, some guys, like, they get the job done, they produce and very physical, similar size, but a much different player. Yeah, like you said, a much different player. I think Scouts, he's got a huge reach. He's got a range that you just, obviously you can't coach that stuff. And, you know, we saw a couple flashes last year where there's a ball that looks like it's about to be over his head or out of out of his range, and he just skies up and gets it. It brings such great energy, and he plays with that energy and with that intensity. And I, I think the scouts have really taken a liking to Samson as well. I'm excited to see what he does. What are these guys trying to do in a setting like this? It's like Judgment Day yeah. uh, or Meat Market or however you want to do it. Um, what, what are they, they hoping to how are they looking to impress or what what good comes from today yeah really and i i was fortunate to talk to both of these guys before this day and just kind of get a, a pulse on how they're feeling and making sure they're not you know overly anxious um feeling pressure they're feeling the right pressure but they're just excited to come in be poised and just showcase that you know what these guys are, are thinking of them they want to confirm that if there are any doubts they want to you know, rid those doubts and um, just kind of do what they do and, and control the controllables. And I've liked the message that both of them have had going into this pro day. And, and I'm confident that they're going to come in with the, you know, good head on their shoulders and just do what they do. Two very good receivers at BYU. Fessy, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Fessy Satake with Dave McCann talking about Neil Pau and Samson Nakua. Again, Samson's numbers yeah. across the board today. It's just been dynamite. Yeah, so so his four four eight, um, he's gonna stick with that one. The the okay. second run was just a tad slower. Same with Neils, he's gonna stick with the four seven one. Uh but Samson in the three cone, six seven five, okay. and then a four three four in the twenty yard shuttle. That's for Samson. Neil at uh six nine five in the three cone and a four one in the twenty yard shuttle. Okay, so the three cone drill for Samson, the six seven five. That would have been third at the NFL Combine okay. among all wide receivers. Well done. I'm telling you, Samson he's, is he's, showing he's some himself. serious athleticism. He has one pro. He, this will be the storyline from today, is that Samson Nakua is the one that helped himself the most. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Hoops is favored by three points against uh, Wazoo. Do you expect the game to be that close tomorrow? I do. I just think it's going to be an absolute, for lack of a better phrase, teeth grinder. It's going to be nerve-wracking, white-knuckle basketball viewing. Is that why Harris the Chance had his mouth guard in? Maybe he so. He already knew it was going to be Maybe so. Grinder. Just a precursor 
wear your mouth guards if you're watching the basketball game. What if the Rock's wearing mouth guards? They're like, dude, <laughs> this is a teeth. Spencer said this is a teeth grinder. It feels like that type of game. I just think yeah. it's going to be super competitive and close, and the BYU fans will be uncomfortable, and then somebody makes a play late in the game and gets to New York. I think it'll be close as well. I just think it'll go up to like five or six points. Okay. Yeah. BYU announced all the lower bowl seats for tomorrow night's game are sold out. Yeah. The NIT quarterfinal when they host Washington State. Nice work. Jeremy, will there be over 10,000 fans in attendance tomorrow night? Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking there's 12 to 15 tomorrow night. Yes. It's going to be a great crowd. The fans have bought in now. Literally, they have bought in. I know someone who's flying in to go to the game. That's, that's great. commitment. Yeah. That is commitment. Get to New York. Let's go, baby. Big Game Boomer as BYU is the 17th best team in his college football spring top 25 poll. Will the Cougars be higher or lower in the preseason AP top 25? BYU will be lower in the preseason AP top 25. In fact, don't be shocked if BYU is not ranked in the preseason AP top 25 and just a team receiving votes. If BYU is ranked in the preseason, I'd guess it's somewhere between 23 and 25. Yeah, I go 21 to 25 in that range. But yes, I I don't think that BYU is going to get the love preseason. And that's okay. Just go and win games and you climb up. I mean, the AP writers typically look at what a team did last season and if they have their quarterback coming back, which well, BYU does. And if they do, and the second most experienced in the country, why wouldn't that team? Some value. Why, why like, like, BYU probably should, if all things were equal and fair, be like 17 in the AP preseason poll. Given who, what BYU did last year and who they returned? Yeah. Sure. I just yeah. don't see it happening. I don't see it either. We're <laughs> jaded. Uh, 100%. 23 to 25 for yeah. me. Yeah. BYU baseball in the University Parkway collision tonight against Utah Valley. No one calls it that, but us. 17 games this season. The Batcats have hit 12 home runs. Yep. They've had three multi-home run games. Not bad. Over under one and a half home runs tonight against the Wolverines. Uh, here's the thing. BYU is going up in elevation, so the ball's going to carry oh, even wow. more. Remember we talked about this Up one like time? 26 feet? Yeah, something like Whatever that. Whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, no, I go over. I, I think uh, Cole Gamble and Colin Ruder and Hayden Latham and the boys are going to get it done. Two plus. This is an early week game, so there are a lot of pitchers. Randos. A lot of different players yeah. will see the field. And I don't know if that correlates to more home runs or fewer when you have, like, your established core and your typical roster. Um, but I'm going to I'm gonna say that it's going to be a little bit weird just with all the different arms and pitching change. This game's going to last forever probably. I'm going to go under tonight. BYU will win with a little bit of small ball. And maybe there's one home run. Maybe Jaron Hall will show up again and have the game-winning hit. That happened he like hit a home two run years ago. against Utah Valley. Yeah. Al Michaels is leaving NBC to team up with Kirk Herbstreit to call Thursday Night Football games on Amazon. So Spencer and I would like to announce that we are leaving to go to nope. NBC for Sunday Night Football, we wish. <laughs> with those two joining together and Joe Buck and Troy Aikman moving to ESPN, which announcing crew do you want to see call a BYU game on TV? Not that those affect BYU games, but we're just throwing it out there. I mean, the idea of Fowler and Herbstreit is always nice because they're the primetime crew, right? Yes, and Herbstreit will still be with ESPN. So if Fowler and Herbstreit are calling a BYU game, that means BYU has done something spectacular to get into a primetime scenario. This ain't happening this year. 
No. Because the, the Notre Dame game will be on NBC because it's a home game for him. Correct. But the question is, who do you want to see call a game? And in oh, my mind, yeah, sure. with the yeah. blue goggles on, I'm thinking, well, yeah, I want Fowler and Herb Street to call a BYU game because that would mean the Cougars are doing something pretty special. Yeah, I'd also love John Madden to uh, rise up and call one, too. That'd be fun. Um, I would love Adam Amin at some point to call some games, okay. but he's in the NFL now. Yep. In the Big 12, I'm hoping that Aaron Goldsmith gets some games. He's a Fox guy Fox, yeah. and a Mariners broadcaster that I'm homies with. He's done a couple BYU games. Did uh, at Washington a couple years ago. Did Boise State in 2020. That one went well. Yeah, it did. The first one, not so much. The, the, the second the, one went yeah, well. Yeah, I was texting him during the game. Hey, I know Boise State has their like third or fourth string in, who's now BYU, Kate Fennigan. But BYU had the similar situation the year before because the rhetoric on Twitter was weird. So I was trying to counter that through him sure. on the air. Underrated broadcast superstar, Sean McDonough. I love when Sean McDonough calls BYU games. I think he's rated properly. He did Monday Night Football. <sighs> he got pulled off of that. But he's... No, that's every two years. <laughs> Save the 70s. Well, ESPN's hoping Frank that Gifford, uh, Joe eight... Buck and Troy Aikman last a while because they just forked out a yes. ton of money. No yes, more two-year stuff. Yes, the New Orleans Saints have announced the re-signing, not resigning, but the re-signing. Is it spelled the same way? Yes. But I believe there's a dash between R-E and sign when you Thank re-sign you. somebody instead of resign. Okay. Jameis Winston now has a new two-year, $28 million contract. What in the world does that mean for BYU fans and their beloved Taysom Hill in New Orleans? Means he ain't the starter. I don't think so. I think no. they want Jameis to be the starter. And it's not Sean Payton anymore. The cool uncle's not running the show. Right. So yeah. what does that mean for Taysom Hill? New it means coach? he's gadget guy now, I guess. Is he gadget yeah. guy there, or does he, he lose value some now with the new staff? Or maybe there'll be another team that values him in a similar way. Okay. Yeah, he's not the starter. I agree. Yeah. This tweet was sent out uh, from Jonathan Smythe. The short-lived dress shirt has no place in modern society. <laughs> Either wear a dress shirt or wear a t-shirt. What are we, all Mormons? Are we all Mormons? Uh, Your thoughts on um, short sleeve dress shirts? Listen, Dwight Schrute has a huge (laughs) issue with this idea that short sleeve dress shirts are not important. Come on! Find a place for the short sleeve dress shirt. Also, yeah, they belong on missionaries, especially when you're walking up Huge hills in yeah. Masan, South Korea in 98-degree yeah. weather with 90% humidity and yeah. your apartment's at the top of a hill. Every Thanks, Prez, for that location. <laughs> uh, it was cheap. Church has money. Let's go. Yeah, in Brazil, I had to have the short sleeve to survive. I have not worn one since the Mish, though. I, I so wore I, I one ki- under a few suits. I kind of agree. Like, yeah, un- <laughs> under the suit. Yeah. <laughs> Under you see sloppy sleeves. Yep, Let's go. Exactly. That's funny. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Samson Nakua having an unforgettable pro day for BYU. He has jumped off the page in terms of the numbers he has put up. And to hear more about Samson's performance, who better than his younger brother Puka to assess what his older brother Samson has done? 
Hey, that's right. I've got his lead analyst here. Your big brother's having a good day. Uh, a really good day. He's looking fast out there. I'm out here rethinking. I'm like, dang, am I the fastest one anymore? <laughs> I, I know Kai's trembling in his boots right now, seeing him run like that. And Kai is here, so he goes a 4.48 in the 40, and then we just saw him turn some good speeds in these drills. What, what, What's his motivation outside of getting his job? Um, I think I know. I know seeing Big Brother Kai and just having our family here. My mom and my grandma was able to come out, but I mean, this what he's he's been putting in the work to to come out for this day, and uh, he's putting good stuff on tape. So I'm excited. He's got his film and stuff, but to come out and executing the drills, uh, he looks really good. He walked up and down uh, next to us, getting loose, and and chance to say hi to him. Uh, uh, this is a this is Judgment Day. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of pressure. Probably not been more pressure on him. At any other time than other than beating Utah yeah, than today. Yeah, yeah most definitely. I can, yeah, you put it right on. I don't think uh, other than beating Utah, there's, it's, been a, it's been smooth sailing until now. So uh, he looks really good. He's he's looking swole. I mean, he's running good, looks smooth. I'm excited to see him out here run these routes and uh, just finish off the day. It's been a real good day for him. Just got to finish it off right. What's he hearing from the NFL as far as uh, a future? Uh, I'm not really too sure, but I know you, you at six four you run that you run, he ran that four four. So I, I think uh, hopefully he gets some more calls and start coming. But he looked real good, so I'm excited. He come out here and finish these routes up and polish off the good day. Now you have two years of eligibility remaining at BYU, but are you looking around and seeing these scouts and thinking that? I could be here next year doing this stuff. <laughs> Definitely. It was getting excited. As soon as they started the bench, I started sweating, getting a little bit of anxiety, getting the juices flowing. I'm like, man, like, I, I, I think I'm ready to go. I don't know if I would have hit 16, but I'm like, I think I could definitely be ready for this moment next year. <laughs> you got a few more days of practice before spring camp wraps up. What do you want to get done? Uh, just have fun. Just look good. We're getting wraps. We put in some new stuff and just the fluidity of it all. I, I know that's something I've been talking about a lot, but uh, this is the chance we get to go when we're going up against 11 guys on defense and we have the full flow of our offense. So it's been fun to to keep to keep myself healthy and then to continue to look good and run run, run good routes for Jaron so he, he can sling that thing to me. <laughs> all right, Pukunakua, uh, Samson's analyst here on Pro Day, <laughs> an outstanding receiver. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. All right, guys, back to you. Great stuff from Dave McCann and Puka Nakua. I agree. He looks fast. Speaking of his brother Samson, he looks strong. He looks athletic. Teams are taking notice. He's won Pro Day. Yeah, he by far has been the story of Pro Day with the numbers that he's putting up. But speaking of numbers, you did a little research, yes. and we were looking at yes. the the three-cone drill for Tyler Algier, which, <laughs> which turned out to be a, a 7.09. Yes. Against running backs, that's pretty good. But you say that compared I, to another position. I just want, this, this is just to double down on the fact that his burst ability, yes. like his, his quick movement and his suddenness is real. His 7.09 would have been top six among wide receivers <laughs> at the NFL Combine. Not running backs. With his size competing against wide receivers, the three-cone drill, 7.09, top six He's a huge human being. I don't need no 40-yard dash. Oh, my goodness. Again, and just his ability to keep his legs churning through contact. Like, he is a physical beast and durable and a workhorse. So Tyler did his work at the Combine. Samson Nakua took full advantage of Pro Day here today. This, he may have well just earned himself an invite as a free agent to a camp. Well, and what this day also does is with these scouts in attendance up close – 
this will now be the next step for these guys is who wants the individual interviews. So, okay, this is a guy that could fit into our system. So now you're going to have all of these scouts communicating with the players' agents and trying to set up when they can come in to talk to the teams. That's the next step for these guys. And that's when things get really, really exciting because then you get that personal one-on-one feedback from guys that could potentially draft you. Oh, and Samson's strong, too. His uh, 16 reps on the bench would have been number two among all receivers at the NFL Combine. Our lead voice of the day, presented by Sundance Mountain Resort, comes from uh, at Beck to Harleen saying, essentially, I think Tyler Alger bet on himself. The 4-6 yeah. is good enough. He bet on himself today that that is good enough. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, on BYU TV and BYU Radio.